Robert Halpern, the Team One of Brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio is a contributor to NotGraphs, but also a resident of America's rainiest metropolitan area, or what I assume is America's rainiest metropolitan area, Patrick Dubuque. There's a fact listener that the Greek philosopher, 6th century B.C. Uh, or thereabouts, Greek philosopher Heraclitus was known, or still is known, as the weeping philosopher. It's just as much of a fact listener that I, Carson Zestouli, suggested via Twitter uh, in the not very distant past, suggested that Patrick Dubuque, my guest, ought to be known as the weeping sports writer. When I made that comment, I knew uh, I knew about Heraclitus's work. However, I did not know, I did not know not only that Heraclitus was a man of particularly foul temper, uh, but also that he had acquired dropsy and instead of consulting physicians on the matter, covered himself in cow manure and then died. I didn't know any of that. But that is more or less the note on which this edition of Fangraphs Audio begins. It does feature Patrick Dubuque, as I've noted. And, uh, well, let's just start it. This is it. We're going to do it. This is Fangraphs Audio featuring Patrick Dubuque, and it begins right now. Now what I'm going to do, this is called um, adjusting the levels. This is the part of the show where we adjust levels. It's the most exciting part. <laughs> yeah, it's probably it's all downhill from here. And <laughs> what are you doing, man? What am I doing or how am I doing? Uh, um, I, I don't know. I feel like I always kind of know how you're doing. <laughs> you know? All right. Well, technically what I'm doing then is I'm, uh, I'm writing an article, actually. I'm being productive. You are. For, yeah, I'm uh, writing Friday's piece. Oh, oh, look at that! Look at you out ahead of the game. Yeah, yeah. Are you more of a turtle or a hare? Do you think? Uh, I try to be a turtle, especially, uh, especially lately. But uh, generally, it depends on what the idea shows up or not. Yeah. If I have the idea early, I'll go ahead and do it. If I don't have the idea, I will sit and wait for the idea until the last possible second. Yeah. And then give up. Well, I, I will say this: as you are, uh, um, as a person who reads um, most all of your, I think, I think all of your work, or most of it at least. Um, That's very kind of you. I've been, yeah. It's also uh, technically my job. Um, so <laughs> we'll just say that. But I will say, um, I think that you have improved. Maybe you feel this way, maybe you don't. I believe that you've improved, though, in terms of uh, both um, idea production or idea generation, Thanks and so. then and then also turnaround on turning on, on making that into a post. I do feel like my turnaround is better. Yeah. I'm not sure I feel that way about ideas. I don't know. I uh, sometimes I feel like I had 90% of my good ideas in the first two or three months that I wrote. Yeah. And I look at my old domain from which, ironically, the uh, the yearly subscription rate is coming up in March, and it's $18, and I'm torn oh. <laughs> as to whether to keep this old website. It gets, I think, about four hits a day, most of which are probably Google Images um, oh, yeah. of people searching for Greg Jeffries. But I I feel like... Like, a lot of good ideas came during that time when no one read them, and that uh, everything else has just been an echo of that. But 
I don't know, maybe that's just uh, because the, the uh, experience was so visceral for me at first. I think that uh, – well, that's an interesting not. thing, yeah. I mean, uh, I think that um, there's not necessarily a correlation between the satisfaction of the thing we write um, – uh, that we derive from, from having written something and the, its quality. I don't think that it's necessarily one-to-one, and I would especially say that uh, for me, I know early on when I was writing poems, I was very, very excited um, about a, a certain um, – sort of uh, during a certain period – but I would not say that those were the best poems I write, although I would say that I probably experienced the greatest improvement in, in my writing. Hmm. Um, because, no, I would say that yeah. – sorry, go ahead. Well, well I, because one says um, – because there's, there's a period of time, and I mean, it continues, but um, at, uh, at a slower rate. Uh, there's a period of time, I think, in any field, uh, but certainly writing, when you when you start to realize that certain things are possible, and I think that's a very – exciting and productive time, but not necessarily uh, the time when you're going to produce the greatest work. Right. Uh, I certainly have hot streaks. Everybody does, I think. When you when when you, you feel, I don't know if it's a sense of confidence or just that a couple of good ideas come at once, but you'll have, I'll have a week or two where it feels like everything falls into place, and then there'll be weeks where you battle and, and nothing seems to be, nothing seems to make sense. But it does seem like there's occasionally, and I'm, I'm not sure which things do this, but there's occasionally a time when, when it seems like my interest in something is completely and inversely proportional to the interest that anybody else will have in it. Uh, yeah. Um, the more, probably also, especially true for anything I write that isn't funny. Um, yeah, um, but that's fine. I mean, you need to you run the gamut, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You just do uh, do that. Uh, yeah, you've had I, – I mean, it, the last couple of months, I think you've been truly uh, and excellently productive. Uh, you, um, I mean, you've made um, – you forced us to write Villanelles, which is unfortunate, and I think yeah. that was a, a huge mistake on your error or on your part. Um, but you've also done uh, – you've also done excellent things too. I mean, really, uh, really crazy great things. Uh, your um, uh, listeners of this – should make their way. I guess you could probably do it right now because who's not near the internet uh, to uh, to your Patrick to your uh, MLB offseason power rankings. Um, oh yes, yeah. which yeah. is just like that's like one of those things that's excellent because who knows how much time it takes. My guess is not like you had the idea and you're like, oh, I could probably do this. Actually, that one took a surprisingly long amount of time. Mm-hmm. Is it just because um, mostly you're because or? well, no, because um, I wanted to be accurate. Yeah. And it turns out that looking up and researching the horsepower of various animals is an extremely difficult and obscure thing to try and find. Apparently, people don't actually try and do this very often. So when I was trying to estimate how much power a bird has, I think I spent 15 or 20 minutes trying um, trying to figure out, based on the size of the bird and perhaps its ferociousness, Mm -hmm. um, how... How much strength it would have in comparison to other animals? There were different I don't think birds. Yeah, yeah. Uh, right. No, no one would care. Uh, that's a good point. The, no, uh, I know. Uh, I guess there are what? There are three birds that are also mascots. True. Uh, yeah. Um, and they're all exactly. Uh, it frustrated me to no end. They're all exactly the same size. Uh, yes, they uh, are. Or at least 
I'm, so I'm sure not every single bird among them is the same size, but on average, they are basically identical birds with different colors. I will say this. Uh, yeah, but I will say this. Uh, they do not all have the same song. Uh, the Blue Chase song is among is among the absolute worst. It is the it is definitely uh, it is definitely one of the <laughs> songs there is. It's not even really a song. I mean, have you ever been in close proximity? Oh yeah, to no, we, we have we we have Blue Jays out in our yard, and so I, I have the pleasure of that all the time. I mean, they're hor- they're um, horrible. They're very. I mean, they they can be quite pretty, but they're horrible. Whereas the Cardinal uh, the Cardinal has a very uh, is a very pretty song. And I've, I've, I've witnessed the first two. The Oriole, I've never had the pleasure of acquainting myself with. So I don't know where it lies on that spectrum. But uh, uh, yeah, In fact, no, I, I believe it also has a, a quite attractive song. I think that uh, Keisha, yeah. so I live in Madison now. I, 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 I had hardly ever seen cardinals before until uh, living here. And uh, we have, um, I wouldn't say they're ubiquitous, but they do, they do come around frequently. Um, and I think that also last spring, Spring. I I could be totally lying, but I th- I think that we did have a couple Orioles as well, and they also have a very a very pretty song. Yeah. I'm I'm sure that everybody is. I'm sure that the the people of Toronto are quite proud of the Blue Jay and uh, have you know we all adapt ourselves to what we we bond ourselves to. Well, they, again, they are so, they are pretty. You know, I think that you guys probably out there in Seattle or Seattle and environs have what is known as the I believe there's a Western and an Eastern Blue Jay. They would be a little bit different. I think the coloring um, of the western, uh, the western blue jay might be different and probably different than the one that occurs in uh, Canada. I think I think actually the, um, of course I could be wrong as well about all this. No, uh, but no. I think, as far as that, as far as that's concerned, um, I only know of one blue jay, and so I can only, given my already limited knowledge of biology, uh, that is the blue jay, and uh, I just assume that all blue jays are identical. Yeah, I think actually it's so far. If I'm not mistaken, the um, the Rocky Mountains uh, or the, or, and or Continental Divide, the Continental Divide actually uh, does divide bird species um, with some regularity. Uh, it makes sense. You'll find different species on either side. Because who, what sort of bird is just going to cross the Rocky Mountains? That's that's not. A it would good, certainly need to be a very determined one. It would have uh, to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So who knows? And I don't know what incentives are there for the bird to actually cross. I can't imagine something that would. Well, it's a, I think it would, it would not necessarily be. It would be more a product of randomness or, or drunkenness, absolute intoxication. Perhaps. Yeah. Perhaps uh-huh. birds, like humans, aren't truly rational creatures, um, and can't simply maximize their own utility and therefore cross mountains. Yeah. It's possible. Humans are bad at, at doing that, I guess. Right, maximizing their own. Own utility. Let's uh, actually. So that brings up a good point, right? Uh, I think one thing that humans are bad at doing, generally speaking, is um, asking the questions that are most relevant to to their experiences, right? Like I think um, a basic okay. question is is to say what actually makes me happy. I think humans, uh, I think, um, ask that um, with little uh, with with little frequency and and answer it well, uh, even less often. W- would you accept that? Um, I would, yeah, I would go so far as to say that we're not even very good at defining what happiness is, let alone knowing how to achieve it. Right. Yeah, I think that's uh, totally accurate. Um, and of course, uh, um, that you know, uh, that, that answering that question uh, has, has been of some concern. Well, who knows if it's of concern to modern or contemporary philosophers? But uh, that, in the form of ethical philosophy, was actually uh, was actually an important question. Uh, Certainly, to um, hedonists like Epicurus, 
uh, and also to Stoics. I don't know if happiness per se was what they would – that's how they would define it, but they were certainly believed in, uh, I guess, living in accord with nature. I think you could make that yeah. case. Plotting um, on. Yeah. Now, listen, though, um, so far as we're speaking of classical uh, philosophers, um, I want to invoke this. I recently – um, via Twitter, via uh, social media, mm. um, what application or, or website? Twitter, utility, social media Maybe. utility. Twitter. I referred to you as uh, well. I, uh, I, um, I I heard I heard Heraclitus, what sixth century BC, sixth fifth century BC philosopher uh, Heraclitus referred to as the weeping philosopher. And I said, uh, if Heraclitus is the weeping philosopher, then Patrick Dubuque, uh, of course, the Eeyore of Knockrafts, is uh, is the weeping fl- sports writer. What I did not know at the time, however, Patrick Dubuque, mm. uh, I thought it was a compliment because uh, Heraclitus's <laughs> fragments are um, – they're stirring uh, so far as reading material is concerned, and they have the added benefit of being quite short, um, which is something of which I also approve. But uh, I did not know that he had uh, – um, such a harrowing biography or miserable biography. He had some issues. Yeah, and I, because um, I just, um, but in the meantime, I've listened to um, BBC program In Our Time. Are you familiar with that program? No, I'm not. Oh, it's, uh, you would like it quite a bit. Um, so, um, host Melvin Bragg um, cobbles together a panel of three uh, academics, generally who were based in the UK somewhere, and then we'll. Um, uh, talk about a subject. For example, I've listened to programs about Voltaire's Candide, uh, about the Druids, yeah, about a no. great um, Carth- Carthaginian general um, Hannibal. Hannibal, yeah. yeah. Uh, the Wall of Hadrian, Hadrian's Wall. Does that sound Does that sound familiar? It is. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a thing, familiar. right? Great British. Yeah. Uh, uh, right. So I've learned about all these things, and uh, but I've also uh, I just today while I was uh, working out, on a, uh, I listened to the episode on Heraclitus, and I learned, as you point out in a piece that you wrote for today with regard to my carp, I learned that he acquired dropsy, uh, and then covered himself in uh, in manure. Yes. Yeah. And I did not mean uh, to say that about, about you. No, that's okay. And what's sad is that I don't. It's a tragic tragedy that we lose so many, uh, of, so much of the wisdom of the Greeks we've lost, and we've, it's a miracle we've kept as much as we have. But one thing we've lost that I'm really, I'm really saddened about is his thought process as to what this, this medical maneuver that he made. <laughs> I would love to know why, why this seemed like not only a good idea but the good idea. Well, there actually the panel seemed to have uh, the beginning of an opinion on that. Ah. Was that somehow drunkenness? Uh, I think it was drunkenness was a wetness. Was was to be wet, and he thought that um, by covering himself in manure, the heat of the manure would allow him essentially to evaporate evaporate uh, the wetness that was causing his dropsy and or drunkenness somehow. So basically, we have the the Greek equivalent of Martin Lawrence. Losing weight by running, going out running in eight sweaters. Is it, uh, wait, um, is that from? Do you, do you remember that very trivial piece of news where he he uh, 
at one point when he was trying to lose weight for a part, he decided to lose weight by putting on a ton of sweaters and going out running in the middle of the day in the summer. And he, uh, that's not good for you. It's he, just water uh, weight. Put himself in a helmet. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he put himself. Yeah, that's water. That's going to be water weight. <laughs> yeah, that's not science. It's, it's good to know that we've advanced yeah. since 500 BC. Uh, yeah, right. And so, but he also was apparently rather um, cantankerous in other ways too. Was uh, yeah. Heraclitus, it turns out. But let it, that not take away from the quality of his of uh, the writing or the writing we have remaining. No, and and you know, I'm, I'm, we're, it's easy to be too hard on Heraclitus. You know, he he's a jerk. But, Would you care to? And, you uh, know, do you have any highlight Her- Heraclitian highlights um, in terms of fragments um, that have stayed with you? I mean, do you, you, would you like to recite the most famous one? You know, basically, I he doesn't actually have very many um, actual direct quotes. He's Heraclitus is one of those guys that came before Plato, and so the only thing we know about him is what Plato said about him. Like all those all those pre-Socratics, um, the, the 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 evidence we have of them are basically people arguing with him. And so the the record is it's like basically having a record of having the only history people have of you is your enemy proving how bad you were. And so we don't it's, it's kind of unfair to him in that respect anyway. Um, but he's he's got basically the two big ideas, right? The uh, the eternal river that says that we we never step into the same river twice because it's constantly flowing. It changes this. The, he, he, the change is this eternal thing, and, and the and, other and one it should being, be noted too. Uh, so yeah, so the, as you stated, the fragment, as, at least as we have it in English, is you never step in the same river twice. Um, right. Um, notable not only because the river changes, but perhaps the it, um, the implication is also that you change, you who step in the river. Well, and the time changes. Yeah, that that everything. It, you know, it, this is the really depressing part about Heraclitus, and what everybody's been trying to disprove since is the idea that no matter how much we try to set a sort of order, uh, we can't fight time, and that time will inevitably wipe away and erode every single piece of work and every single construction we have. That's the well. Do you think that's, that's the, the implication? Term. I think it could also be. I think so. Yeah. Oh, you do. See, well, you as an Eeyore <laughs> not graph. I would. I, yeah, obviously. Yeah. Well, um, the thing, I actually assumed so. So the the sort of pretty thing that I took away from it was that um, while things are constantly changing, well, so there's this right. There's this nice tension um, because while the river is changing, in fact, in fact, if it's not changing, it's not a river. Right. So do you see? Because well, it's just like, yeah. uh, as one of the, the panelists on, in our time brings up, it's just a very long lake if it's not moving. So it um, native to its identity is, in fact, um, this, this, the case that it's moving, that it, the fact that it's moving. Otherwise, it would not be a river in that case. So movement is and change is, in fact, um, central to its identity, which I think is pretty we, – we can't call it a river if it's not moving. Agree, and yeah, it's. It, there, I think there's definitely value in it. It's. It, it, that is what life is. Life cannot be stagnant, right? Uh, if we are not moving, if we are not changing, then we're not really living. Um, however, that doesn't stop everyone from trying to set their own life in stone so that it can be, it can last forever, so they can never die. Right. Um, well, if your life is conflict. already good, uh, if your life is fine, well, yeah. Then, yeah, yeah. But if your life is miserable, I then. Uh, so. I assume that you would embrace embrace the idea of change, right? Because it's uh, 
I mean, if there's regression, if we suggest that there's uh, like, yeah. um, you know, like for for batting average or or really right. any, any metric that can be uh, that can be recorded, if there if there's if we always assume at some level regression to the mean, uh, then perhaps the life offers the same thing. We say, well, things are terrible now, but perhaps that's um, perhaps that's a good thing because uh, it can only get better. We we would assume that, that it could get better. It certainly holds true of the Mariners. Um advertising campaign. Oh, I haven't seen um, those yet. They, but yeah, I think I think that same metaphor applies to baseball as well, right? We have a we have a game that we play over and over again. And we do it how many times a year? 162 times 16 iterations. Um, and if it were the exact same every time, that would be really depressing. It would be trivial. But we need that element of change to it. But at the same time, Everything that's changing, it's still a constant that things are changing. And so baseball can be a constant while the game itself is different every single day. Uh, yeah. I, sure. yeah. I, agree with, I agree with that. I'm not sure if that's why I like it. Um, okay. But if it's, if it's, if it's satisfying, I mean, if it's why you like it, that's fine with me. I, find, I, think it's, I, think it, I find it comforting. And I think oh, that's yeah. why a lot of people try to keep it from changing, but I don't necessarily agree. Oh right. Well, certainly, I yes. I mean, that is certainly a tension that exists in baseball, right? I think um, probably is the oldest. I mean, with the exception of boxing and cockfighting, uh, I think it's probably the oldest American sport, right? Um, those are, and we don't really do a lot of cockfighting anymore, uh, right? <laughs> or any sort of uh, animal battles. Uh, they tend to be frowned upon. Uh, Fortunately, well, yeah. Yeah. Horse racing? What horse racing? Uh, horse racing is pretty old, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. I would not say necessarily. Fortunately, I know that. Um, I, nor, nor would I say unfortunately. But I would say I would say this. I know that. Um, I don't know when it was. Maybe it was five years ago, something like this. Ten years ago, five years ago. I think it was probably after uh, Michael Vick and the Michael Vick situation, mm. capital S, when um, uh, animal rights and and animal fighting as sport uh, sort of came to the fore. I think that. Uh, I think that not only was I think Pedro Martinez was spotted at a cockfight in the Dominican. I can't remember that. And I believe he was asked by Major League Baseball, uh, or maybe PETA, but I think it was probably Major League Baseball or some organization to participate in a um, to, to participate in a commercial or some sort of campaign against cockfighting, and. Uh, Pedro Martinez responded that he did not want to participate because he enjoyed cockfighting. Um, that was his response. He's like, no, uh, why would I do that? Because I like it. Um, and uh, but he's allowed to do that. His uh, he's larger than he's larger than. Uh, well, he contains multitudes. I think we can say that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I have no I have no moral judgment to make on cockfighting, mostly because I know nothing about it. I it's I'm utterly ignorant of the activity of the sport. Um, basically, the only way I would know anything about it is from Hemingway novels. But uh, with Hemingway, um, I have a strict rule where any time he talks about animals fighting, I skip to the next chapter. Bullfighting, cockfighting, any of it. It is um, it's just, I, just, uh... I, I just move on. It's like it's like reading italics in a Tolkien book. It's, you just skip, and you're better off for it. Yeah, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, right, right, right. Uh, now, let me say, uh, let me ask you, uh, we mentioned the stepping in the same river, yeah, right? We we, mm -hmm. we invoked that 
Uh, now, you said you had one other, there was another essential idea that you were going to... Uh... Well, the, uh, the world of fire, the, the idea that everything is made of fire. Of course, the Greeks all loved this concept that everything was made of something, and they wanted to figure out what it was, mm. but they're not, they weren't very good at actually tying their science to any kind of observation. They, they were always they were always trying to prove it based on what they knew had to be true, but not by paying attention to what actually was going on. Yeah, right. Which is why basically chemistry involved everything being made of four elements until about what sixteen hundred or so. Um, and ether, so and ether where are ethers is ether. I can't remember where ether falls into it. Um, there's a wind. There's a wind that's happening, and something is seventeen percent ether. Yeah, this is uh, right. There have been a number of – there's been much conjecture with regard to what the universe is made of, what's going on in it. But right, uh, so Heraclitus saw fire everywhere. Yeah, it's all about fire and it's all about fighting. He's – you know, which which goes nicely with his personality. Um, he's all about war, and he thinks war is great. It, it, it proves strength. It proves honor. You can't have honor without defeating someone honorably. Um and, you know, like, like basically, dying is good anyway because you're just going to return to the big fireball in the middle of the earth or wherever it is. And, and, but pretty much that the most people, I think, he believed pretty much deserved whatever suffering came to them if they weren't strong enough. It's a very kind of uh, proto-Nietzschean in its way of... Well, actually, interesting that you mention that. I believe that Nietzsche said that... Deserve what they get that he felt warmest in the company of Heraclitus's works uh, than he did any other philosophers. And it's strangely one that it's not a it's not a world I'd really enjoy living in. I don't feel like I need to test my strength constantly because I think that would be exhausting and and ultimately also probably deadly. But don't you think you know, do you think it has anything to do with the fact that you're just uh, uh maybe you're just uh, you're just weak, Patrick? It's, that's possible, and, and but partially I'm weak because I choose, hopefully partially <laughs> I choose, to, to allocate my time and resources to other ventures uh, beyond uh, punching bags, which I don't even know where I'd fit one in my house. Anyway. You, it, it'd be a disaster. You, uh, you do, though, occasionally um, inter- um, in, in, in the form of writing, you you engage in some not uh, not full on wars, but uh, minor battles. Um, I know that you will occasionally uh, you will dissent from my uh, from my opinions, which are right. You will dissent from them. <laughs> I am actually I I am very conflict averse. It, it's very difficult for me. I yeah. do, I prefer to be left alone. It's um. I, and I prefer to leave other people alone. I'm, I'm at heart a relativist. I like to think that everybody's right as long as their rightness doesn't impede with me or deal with a fact that I know to be true in my own heart. And so I'm, I'm usually pretty happy to let people live with their own misconceptions or, or of how the world works. Um, and I ask for the favor in return usually. Well, uh, so... Um... So recent, oh yeah. So with regard to uh, Heraclitus, and this is maybe something you have in common. Uh, he, in fact, he did he did not get along well with his uh, with his contemporaries in any sense. I mean, with the, his people, the people of he was from Ephesus, I think Ephesus, which is now right. in uh, uh, modern day Turkey. 
And I um, I think that he, yeah, he removed himself from their company whenever he could. Uh, and he he's a, he was a little bit more trollish, though. He he actually actively in his writing picked on pretty much everybody he could uh, he could he could find. He, yeah. Well, I, fa- I don't yeah. really have that share that negativity. No, I know I, that I uh, he did say of he said of um, I think it was Homer that he should be beaten with a stick. <laughs> well, he and Plato had that in common, at least. Uh, you're right. He seemed to be really. Uh, he actually seemed to be uh, almost like the first internet or like the first blogger. Yeah, he, he kind of does. Very extreme in all his views. I mean, yeah. he's. You know, you could you could tell he was going for the Patriots. With, Pro, uh, yeah, prone to hyperbole. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was really. He was a, <laughs> a polemicist, really. Um, but inter- I think entertaining. Um, now, listen. I asked you earlier. I asked you earlier, Patrick Dubuque, um, whether you were a, a hare or a tortoise, and uh, you answered that question. That's fine. Uh, mm-hmm. Let me ask you now: Are you a groundhog or a fox? And are you familiar <sighs> with? Are you familiar? You f- what's that? Didn't I, use, didn't I use that in one of my own articles? Now I completely forgot it. Uh, you might, but you're uh, familiar with the tension, right? Between this is from Archilochus. Uh, yes. Eighth um, century BC, I think Archilochus says that there are two types: there's the groundhog and the fox. The, the, um, uh, the groundhog. Oh no, I didn't use. It. I'm sorry, it was Nate Silver who was talking about this. It's oh, this po- yeah. Oh, yes, in fact, right. But uh, it's been. That's why it's interesting. It's certainly been evoked. It's certainly been evoked previously. Uh, it's, I think, in uh, modern, uh, it's it's used in pedagogy to to discuss different types of learners. Um, it's discussed. Uh, it was discussed by Isaiah Berlin in an essay on. Uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, I will do some clandestine googling to find that out as I'm talking. Um, I have this. Skill. And then it was it, it was evoked. Uh, sorry, hedgehog. Yeah, hedgehog or groundhog and fox. Uh, uh, to discuss Tolstoy, I believe it was. Yeah, I believe it was to discuss uh, Tolstoy, with whom he was discussing. And then, uh, right, Archilochus used it. He said that um, the fox knows many things. Um, the, the the hedgehog, the hedgehog knows one thing well. That's that's the uh, right. Yeah. Um, in that respect, I am utterly a fox. Mm-hmm. I am the Greatest of dilettantes. Yeah. Uh, greatest as far as most, not in terms of uh, value, because that's actually really kind of a terrible thing in the sense that I seem to, and I guess it's a, a personal trait, but I seem to avoid any kind of specialization or any kind of skill acquiring mm-hmm. of any sort. Right. You um, right, As soon as you sense that uh, you're developing a talent. I might actually, yeah, as soon as I might actually develop some sort of value in something. Well, I certainly marketable skill. On. I think that's been born out. Um, yeah, oh, yeah. Certainly. Uh, you um, seem to have um, no aptitude for uh, self-preservation in that way, right? I mean, you you, right. do, you do make enough of a living right now, but uh, almost by accident, it seems. Well, yeah, and, and um, yeah, I, I don't even know how that is. Right. I, I'm, you know... Student loans, I imagine, are the only yeah, reason yeah. I survived at this point. Otherwise, Although I, I think that you, uh, so far as debt is concerned, um, you are you're doing much better than I, I think your our colleague Robert Bauman. Yeah, I think Bauman. Yes, yeah. Bauman, of course, is 
drowning in it. Uh, I, I probably, I think I have about half as much debt as Bowman. That's still a lot of debt, yeah. It's still a lot of debt. It's still yeah. a lot of debt. It's, it, let's, let's please stop talking about it, by all means. <laughs> Are your creditors <laughs> listening? I, I probably I had, not. I hadn't thought about it for weeks, so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you ever get a... Um, now, are you one of those sorts of people? Who, do you do you have do you suffer from anxiety ever? Like real like real anxiety or maybe moment momentary anxiety? Um, I don't know. I I, I don't. Do you take I, me- let me ask had, you this. Do you take medication for me- for anxiety? I do not. Uh, okay. Or, um, de- or depression. You don't. You don't. You're not treating any. I don't. Conditions. I, I might, That's surprising. You know, if I would ever be diagnosed, if I had health insurance, if I had health insurance. And I actually yeah. saw a doctor, yeah. which is something that I have read about <laughs> and heard that other people have. Um, that might happen, but uh, to me, that that doesn't seem like a real thing. Doctors, I no, no. Wait, uh, yeah. I, I now I can remove this from the podcast if I need to, but I think okay. it's possible. Uh, it, I think it's possible that you there will be a smaller Dubuque at some point. There is. There there will be one. It's this does not need to be moved. We have made it fairly public knowledge at this point. Okay, yeah. Uh the the uh the Dubuquette will be uh, <laughs> arriving in late June. But uh, so okay, so you have no health insurance, so um that seems to me to be uh to be difficult. A quandary, yeah. No, actually my wife does. Oh, okay. And so but you fortunately she Oh she's covered. She can take care of that. Okay, but no, wait a second, are uh, you not you can't get on her insurance then? I can, but it's it's expensive. Oh, okay. For some reason, her plan uh, is more expensive uh, for me to join than for us to have four children who all join. I'm not entirely sure of the math. I, I'm but, assuming um, it's something to do with you specifically. Then do they? Is it uh, they know that? Uh, is it has it having a, is it having yeah. a French surname? Is that considered by um, uh, French Canadian? By... I, don't, I don't know if the, the state of Iowa and it's. Uh, its people have done some harm to their, uh, and I don't even actually know which. Is that where your family's from? Like, Are they from Iowa? The my great 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 grandfather is named Julian Dubuque. He mm-hmm. founded the city of Dubuque, Iowa. Oh my goodness! It's uh, a fur trading post. Oh um, yeah, I wouldn't insure you. I certainly wouldn't. No, yeah. no. Um, if I were an actual, uh, even I, if I were just as a, um, if I were an armchair actuary, I would immediately. <laughs> <laughs> immediately, um, um, just not even in, uh, not even consider um, insuring anyone with the surname Dubuque. Certainly, French Canadian no, by way I'm, of by way of Iowa. No, fur trading. No, no. I imagine that probably right now uh, my chances of human combustion yeah. are so great that I, yeah. I threaten the lives of all the people around me. Well, I would say first now. of all, I'd be worried about uh, alcoholism. Uh, first of all, addiction to foie gras—that's a serious problem, and I'm sure that you, one that you deal with. Um, uh, uh, poor manners, um, slapping, lots of slapping, limp, limp, limp-wristed slapping. And, you know, I've uh, never slapped someone, and I've never been slapped by someone. I, I, it'll yeah, happen. Well, that doesn't mean it's going to happen. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I would say generally uh, there, there are a lot of reasons not uh, to be wary of employing someone like you. So, so Julian, but also I'm Julian, technically French Canadian, so uh, secession is also on, on the. Yes, that's right. You probably probably pocket. want to secede from your own life. That's the problem. Secede from existence. <laughs> yeah. I've certainly seceded from a few jobs. <laughs> you, you have, or, or been forcibly seceded from. 
Have you ever been fired, Dubuque? You ever been fired? I've been laid off. I've never been fired. Oh, okay. Laid off is different, right? I usually quit. Like... I usually quit long before I get yeah. laid off. You could, you could you smell it in the air, right? Nose. Yeah. Ear to the ground and nose in the air and all that. That's a weird position to be in. <laughs> it's kind of a weird one. Yeah. But one in which I imagine you have nothing else to do but be perceptive. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, they really <laughs> at that point. I think actually it's utilized by, uh, uh, by uh, Thich Nhat Hanh, actually. Uh, he, he suggests that position. Are you familiar with Thich Nhat Hanh and his works? I'm not, no. You're not. Oh, he's a, uh, he's a, a Zen, Zen Buddhist, very popular Zen Buddhist. He was friends with um, uh, Thomas Merton. Do you know, do you know Thomas Merton? Uh, Embarrassing me, No, Catholic I don't. Monk. If they're no. still alive, I'm probably not familiar with them. No, yeah. No, the, uh, uh, Thich Nhat Hanh is alive. Uh, Patrick, or, uh, Thomas Merton's not. Um, he died from no. electrocution. He was in the, he was in Asia somewhere and something, uh, somehow. Kelly, do you know how... Um, how he got electrocuted, Thomas Burton. Something did something fall into the bath or something. Yeah, he was electrocuted somehow. But wow. um, they, they did some cross pollination so far as uh, religious traditions are concerned. One was a Merton was a, a, a Trappist monk at the Gethsemane. Yeah. Uh, anyway, here's a question I have for you. Right, mm-hmm. you. Uh, uh, I think we've established you come from low breeding. Uh, you were born from some manner. I don't know how you got out there, but fur trapping and then cr- your family at some point crossed the, the Rocky Mountains, which which um, even even birds are unwilling to do, as we have established, right? Yeah. Um, and you ended up there. You live on the West Coast. Uh, you know, you're probably the product of, um, you know, foul issue. You're a foul issue. Um, you did. You certainly did not go to, and you did not attend. You definitely didn't attend a boarding school. Uh, you don't appear no. to have attended one of America's most important universities, and yet you still seem to have. Uh, a, uh, you still seem to have done some uh, some uh, important reading in your life, and I'm curious as to how that happened because you know, to me, as someone born and raised in the the bosom of New England, um, where one is read, uh, you know. Uh, was one one is taught Greek uh, as a as a youth? Um, well, yeah, it was wall, it used as wallpaper. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, that's true. That's true. Yeah, really, just, yeah, right, yeah uh, no. Um, how did you? How did that actually? Happen? How did it happen? Um, most of it happened. I mean, when I was younger, I was I've always been a writer. Yeah, I've written stories since I was seven or eight years old, and so yeah, that's like any normal. Yeah. Teenager and developing adult. As a writer, I steadfastly refused to read anything. Yeah, which sounds because like I was worst, terrified that I would. <laughs> yeah, I would. I would have my my style infected. Yeah. By people more talented than myself. Yeah. Um, also, I was always terrified that I would write something and then find out that something that someone had written it already. Yeah. Um, in college, I invented libertarianism. What sort of libertarianism? And then was. Rabbit, uh, John Stuart Mill. Basically, oh, yeah. I, I invented a sort of this ethical calculus where I realized that actions have values yeah. both immediately and then over time. And I felt very proud of myself for this until I found out it was actually 400 years old. And I was very bitter about that. Yeah. So I, I avoided reading um, almost as kind of a virtue. And then I, I lived overseas for a year. I, moved, I went to Korea and I taught English. And, oh, this is where um, everyone made fun of you for being bald, right? 
Yes, yes. Yeah, like get, Bobby. Uh, I believe literally young Asian women would giggle at you. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, this got cut out of the last podcast. But, yeah, uh, usually you have yeah, to but, and, and to be fair, usually that costs money to have uh, young Asian women giggle at you. But you, uh, you produce. Well, yeah, it did cost money. I was getting my hair cut. It was like mm. twelve bucks. I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but then afterwards, when I cut my own hair and went shorn through the streets of Busan, South Korea, that it was free at that point. Yeah. Um, but uh, while I was living over there, I became so desperate for the uh, the English word because the only people that I could seem to find to speak with me were uh, drunken expats and drunken old Korean men. I couldn't figure out why. All, yeah. Whenever I'd run into an old drunken man in the subway, he'd speak English. Just, I think it was more for um, sitcom purposes to punctuate <laughs> right. whatever evening I was on. That it, I'd, have, <laughs> I'd end it with some conversation. It was kind of like the uh, speech at the end of an Aaron Sorkin TV show. Is that a thing uh, they do? Uh, fa- uh, is he known for, sp- for uh, ultimate for speeches at the end of his? Uh, yes. Right. Yeah, the West Wing especially was very bad about it. And I actually liked him, but and Sportsman is a wonderful show, but he, he liked it. Okay, I switched. Right. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've explained that a little bit. Um, so I got so desperate when I was reading over there that I would read like literally any book I could find. I was reading, you know, Stephen King and. Um, um, I read Hugh Prather. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Hugh Prather. No, how do you, you spell not, the How do you spell the last name? Uh, P-R-A-T-H-E-R. He was a uh, poet, I believe, in the 70s. I've never really learned that much about him because I've never read him ever since. Mm-hmm. But I had I found these books in by Hugh Prather, and they are the the most cloying, horrible poems I've ever read. Yeah. Um, I believe one of his books is titled I Touch the Earth and the Earth Touches Me. Oh, boy. Uh, which is a fairly accurate rendition of what you're looking for in a Hugh Prather poem. Yeah, is it pornographic? Is that the idea? No, 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 no. Uh, surprisingly, no. It was more of a, a, a gentle caress between oh, okay. the spirit of the earth and the spirit of Mr. Prather. I Touch the Earth and the uh, Earth Touches Me. That's Yeah. Oh, it's a real thing. Yeah. Um, so I'm reading everything like, I can you know, possibly it sounds find. Like a, so, sorry, it sounds like a. I mean, it sounds like an evening with Dane Perry, right? <laughs> yeah. It does. With, with Dane Although, Perry playing the part of the Earth. I'm, uh, you know, almost impossibly gentle. However, oh, oh like, that's true. So yeah. gentle. Oh, right. As to be unconscious during it. Yeah. Right. Which is I, impossible I, it, uh, with uh, which Perry. Which is indisturbing. Yeah. Indisturbing. Yeah. Um. So at that point, once I'd run out of those things, I basically realized the only thing I had left was to buy books, which uh, I was terrified to do. Yeah. Um, because, uh, like now, I had no actual money. But um, yeah, uh, I started. I decided then to be economical to buy the largest books I could. Oh, smart! So Very two, good. Yeah, I thought so. And so the two books I bought first were uh, *Crime and Punishment* and. Bertrand Russell's uh, History of Western Philosophy. Oh, bam. There you go. That's going to take, um, take a while to get through. Well, it did. It took me, I think, four or five months to read that book, uh, yeah. pretty much constantly. And it was uh, it was wonderful. It was, you know, like many of my favorite books, I hated it. And then afterwards, I was glad to have read it in retrospect. Yeah. 
And so, um, and Bertrand Russell is um, great. He's very, I mean, he's, he has great ideas in his own right, but there's no one better to talk about someone else than Bertrand Russell. He was one of the caddiest of philosophers, I think. Yeah, okay. Well, what... Um, uh, enjoy this, though. What, uh, what, uh, what makes him so catty? What is this? I know, he's, he's just very, um, he's glib, I think is probably perhaps the okay. better term. Yeah. Bertrand Russell is not going to tell you about somebody without telling you about Bertrand Russell's feelings on the subject. Well, I will tell you... And, yeah, well, let me uh, let me let me Bertrand Russell this conversation and tell you my feelings okay. on Bertrand Russell. Um, right. I only know two things about him. Um, one is, um, well, I guess three things. One is that he wrote that giant text of which he spoke. Yeah. Uh, the second is that he he was, in some manner of speaking terms, with uh, T. S. Eliot. I believe T. S. Eliot. Uh, they knew each other somehow, which doesn't seem that surprising. And the third thing I know about him is that uh, he advocated on behalf of what is known as a vagabond's wage. Does this sound familiar to you? Yes. Yeah, and this is that if someone voluntarily essentially removed themselves from the workforce, uh, like announced it, right, um, that he or she would receive a stipend from the government, I guess, uh, uh, which would be just enough money uh, not to die. Uh, but he or she would promise, say, I will not try to make money man the other way. I'm a vagabond. And this is what I'm saying. It'd be a set of class. You can you'd have a whole crowd of, of Epictetuses living on their own in their in their little apartment caves. Yeah. Exploring the meaning of the universe. Yeah. Yeah. But so oh, no, so would great. you have to be providing a? Uh, would you have to be exploring the plumbing the depths? One assumes that you would just out of boredom. Oh, you'd be forced uh, to. Well, because what I would do. In that situation, is just uh, uh, drink and you know play cards or something like that. I mean, if I it depends if I had company or not. But um, there are other ways to pass the day than than plumbing the depths. I mean, I suppose so. And Freud admittedly did did say that drinking your way through your sorrows is the most rational way to do it. Who said that? Freud. Um, Freud did. Yeah. Well, that's the best thing uh, Freud's ever civilization said. Civilization is discontinued. Yeah. 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 But. Uh, I don't know. I get I get bored uh, when I'm drinking, so I try not to. I think it's uh, um, I think it's meaningful that the first word in discontents is disco. What do you think about that? You ever true, thought, irrefutable. I think. You ever um, uh, meditated on that? I have not. Nor did Freud. I think. No, um, yeah, that's true. Although one wonders how he would feel about it if he were. Right yeah. Um, do you wonder, or just one? Do you think a sort of metaphorical one, or hypothetical one? I no, I don't actually wonder. No. Yeah, okay. Uh, okay I have continue. a hard time empathizing with. All right, so go ahead. We're talking about your your history and reading, your life and reading. So sorry, we'll we'll, we'll leave poor Bertrand Russell, who I've slandered, uh, who was much better than I'm giving him credit for. But uh, um, so yeah, I started reading after that, and and so I developed what I call a uh, thrift store degree. Okay. Of the, <laughs> the three times I went to college, the by far the wisest and most um, uh, financially prudent of the three yeah. was that basically I've, I've built up a library of um, books just by buying buying the two dollars at a time uh-huh. um, I could you know, I could go to the library yeah which is you know certainly true uh, and thus saving myself you know several thousand dollars at this point given yeah. how many books you can buy for two dollars a piece but um, it's nice to have the books here 
in case I need to be pretentious while I'm writing and refer to them. Absolutely, I would hate to sure. have to yes. be so much more inefficient with my pretentiousness as to have to go mm-hmm. somewhere else or look it up. Um, but yeah, that's pretty been it really. I I I, uh, I built this library and I uh, I started reading and I try as much as possible to to fit in with my dilettantism to read to spread my reading out as thinly as possible to cover as many different subjects uh, at a shallow level as I can. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I try not to read the same author twice in the same year. I try not to read the same subject twice in the Would same Would you say never step, to... never step into the same author twice? Is that your, you're advocating that? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. And even though I can't help it, theoretically. Um, because I will be a different person when I read that second book. Mm-hmm. But... Um, but no, I, I I basically try to be well read just because it it it's basically my theory, my version of altruism. Since I'm not really a helpful or useful person, um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm actually you know there there I have a definite philosophical reason for this. It's, it's kind of one of my raison d'etre. But uh, um, which I butchered there. Wow, I'm supposed to be French too. Yeah, um, one of the worst but, French. Yeah, that was that was awful. Um, we, I'm sure we can scrub that part out of the podcast, if not else. Yeah, don't worry. Um, I'm, sure, I'm sure I have. Don't worry. Just bleep it out. Just pretend like we were swearing. It's probably better. Um, but, uh, yeah, all other people have kindness and virtue, and I have um, facts, <laughs> I guess, um, which I find very comforting um, and which will equip me for whatever afterlife. Turns, it turns out to be, I'm sure, you know, because you can't take it with you, but you can hopefully take your knowledge of uh, the starting lineups of the Seattle Mariners between 1990 and 2010. Uh, the, I, I figure that Sporkle has become basically my preparation. The Well, I'll say this. That knowledge is valuable. Okay, so it's it's appealing on a, on a nostalgic level, right? If you know, if like, for example... Uh, I'm sure you have your own Mariners equivalent, but like mm-hmm. I, rem- uh, I remember occasionally Randy Kutcher, who was a, you know, like a borderline. I mean, you know, he was a utility outfielder essentially for the Red Sox, uh, maybe the late '80s, early '90s. I remember when Mike Boddicker pitched for the Red Sox, and I remember Nick Asaski. I remember getting Nick Asaski. Yeah. Uh, I remember getting Nick. We're dwelling in the Romney era. The which era? Kevin Romney. The Kevin Romney era. Romney? Who is this? Is a yeah, isn't it Romney? Mitt? No, he was a Red Sox outfielder back then. He couldn't hit. Romney? Or Romney? Spell Wait, his he last couldn't name. field. He was, he was all hit. It was all Spe- bat, no field. Spell his last name. Uh, Spell it. All right, this is going to be this is going to be one of those Daryl or Irvine moments. R O M I N E. I thought it was Romney. I thought I pronounced it Romine as a kid, and I turned out I was wrong then. But maybe I was right no, then. No, Kevin Romine. Kevin Romine. It's Romney, isn't it? Oh, I'm sure it can't be. It's Austin because it's Austin Austin Romine is his son. Much, it makes too much sense. For you, really, he has yeah. a son now. Austin Romine. Right. Two, he has two sons who play or who are. That's uh, a shame because because before he had children, I could just dismiss him as not existing anymore. But if he actually actual. Yeah, Kevin Romine. Both of his sons. Uh, yeah, his uh, Andrew Andrew is a uh, middle infielder, I think, in the Angels organization, and then, and then Austin is like a legitimate catching prospect. 
Okay. Well, then I charge you with two things. So one, think of Kevin Romney as a an endearing nickname. You're just going to keep saying Romney, um, are, are you? Are you going to say Romney? <laughs> I am. Yeah. And two, I uh, I urge you to refer to both of signs as Romney from now on. Okay. You, it is fully within your power to not do so. Mm-hmm. But my intention has been laid out. Well, I think it you you I think your comment or your bizarre pronunciation is. Um, it makes sense uh, for this reason is that it, it it's probably an Italian name, um, and it's probably like Romine or something like that. I mean, it's it, it looks Italian, you know, um, or at least a version of Italian. Um, but I don't uh, I don't know that I could say anything. Uh, uh, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. Defend you beyond well, I'll, that. I'll let you return to Randy Kutcher. <laughs> Please tell me I didn't do that one too. All right. I believe well, I'll it. let you. Uh, you were in charge of all names. It's Kutcher. Yeah, it's uh, Randy Kutcher. And it's, it, I, you know why? You know why I said you know, I said Kutcher because I was thinking of as you were talking about Kutcher, I was thinking of Rusty Coons. Rusty Coons, yeah. Who, and I was make sure you determined not to yeah. mispronounce that name. Yeah. But this, we so that you just turned uh, you just turned Randy Kutcher's surname into a, a vague reference to <laughs> female yeah. anatomy. It's equally dirty. Um. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Um, well, there, uh, there you go. So, um, my my credibility and expertise are, are completely gone. Now. Yeah, but I think it's right when. So when when you talk about that, though, I think like there, there's like a certain pleasure of nostalgia and memory attached to those old teams, regardless of which they are. Mm-hmm. And and then there's also this. There's also if you meet someone from who's about that same age, then you'll be able to participate in those pleasures together. And I think that that could right. be powerful. Probably fewer people for the Mariners than for the Red Sox, uh, simply based on population and interest in the team. But no, we don't even name the left fielders. We yeah. just refer to them as left fielder. Um, right. Who? Well, who's played? I mean, Mark Mclemore sort of did. That's who I probably remember the most. But I, um, I think I saw today. Was it who wrote about this? Michael. Yeah, Michael. Uh, Michael Barr referred to a plethora of left fielders and. His articles today. It's, in the, it's like fifty something in the last four years. Yeah, fifty six in the last ten ten years. Ten I years, think. ten years. Um, yeah, it's 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 ridiculous. It, right. It's it cannot be a coincidence at this point. It is some sort of you know divinely uh, ordained situation. Yeah. Well, it's hard. What? So uh, all right. So left fielder, uh, left fielders typically are players who. Are, are bat first guys, and for whatever reason have slightly more mobility than first basemen, right? I mean that's the that's the base. They're, they're essentially first basemen with a little bit more mobility, or perhaps yeah, that's, that's what Mike Carp was going for, I think. Right, or maybe a little bit less in the way of hands. I mean, it could be also be that. Um, but uh, but so so left fielders tend to be great. The other thing is, bat first players tend not to survive in Safeco, or at least have not. Uh, since that great, uh, that great, you know, early aughts team dissolved. Right, but this curse even extended well back into the Kingdom era. I mean, there, I, I don't know for certain, but I believe that there has never been in Mariners history a left fielder that has started three opening days. Is that right? Wow. Yeah, I wow. think so. Um, Randy Wynn, I think, came closest. I think he had two. The player. Uh, he might have started three. Player acquired um, for. Uh, Lupinella, is that right? Yeah, yeah. During that uh, 
post-2001 era, in that era. But, uh, no, it's, it's been forever. It's been forever. It's, yeah. uh, I feel this just been a, a disaster. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, they, yeah, they've been bad. Uh, well, listen, um, uh, Patrick, we, uh, we've, we've hit, uh, we're, over, we're above 50 minutes now. Uh, oh. which is which is good and um um i think so i think that means that you've uh, fulfilled your obligations but uh, but i'm curious is, is there anything we've uh, we've missed that you feel like needs to be addressed well i i need to defend your your last charge unspoken um about the trivia the trivial nature of knowing left fielders from the Mariners. okay i assumed that, i i guess i just assumed that, that was the preface for some sort of uh, veiled attack on on uselessness Oh, well, I, I support to... uselessness, though. You know that, right? Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I am an advocate of uselessness. Okay. Um, I uh, uh, Frequently, things that are useless are are virtuous um, because they're useless, right? Um, because a lot of our days are um, – uh, a lot of our days are made up of pursuing things or interacting with things simply because they are useful – uh, but uh, there's a certain pleasure we, reci- we receive from enjoying a thing b- uh, in and of itself, right? I believe it's referred to – these sorts of pleasures are referred to as autotelic, right? Uh, yeah. pur- purposeful in and of themselves, right? That's uh, right. poorly translated from the Greek, probably autotelia. I think it reveals itself there. Yeah. But well, listen, Patrick, what, wait, one thing I want to address <laughs> before, before we, okay. before we uh, get going is uh, – uh, you and I are going to see each other uh, quite soon. We're going to meet, meet each other yes, for the first are. time in Arizona. I look forward to it. I do, too. This will actually, for me, uh, this will be, I've met Bauman, and uh, that's been pretty much it. I think, I don't know how many people I've met, so this is going to be a uh, a very interesting experience. I'm going to meet all these people for the first time and, and, uh, and then see if they actually acknowledge me afterwards. Yeah, but, well, uh, right. well, you know who else is coming from uh, from the Knockraft site, of course, is uh, David Temple, who's also been doing yes. great work at the site. Although by mid-March, he may be too famous. Um, oh, is he? Is, is that, well, well, of course, he has his own, uh, he's his own podcast now. The success of his, his podcast. Yeah, right. right. Now, have you, have you appeared on that? I haven't. I actually wrote an essay for it, or I started to. I was yeah. far enough into an essay that I had promised him that I would give it, I would use it for his show. You, you and just then, did it uh, apropos of nothing and just hoping he did invite you? Well, no, well, no. But I, I, I was writing it for no reason, but once I had written far enough, I thought I actually just kind of asked if anybody could use it because it wasn't really Knockraft's material in the sense that it wasn't funny at all. Like, well, it wasn't you know, we don't always need... Pretending to be funny. Well, no, but at least it, it, it didn't even have the, um, the sly... Um, wink that hopefully should center on the absurdity of baseball. It was, it was, it was super serious. Yeah, okay. And very purposeful. Right. Fair, fair and enough. so I thought I, I thought I would give it to him. And of course, the moment I proposed to that to him, or he actually asked me for it, and I said, certainly. And then I could not finish it. And I oh, spent yeah. weeks trying to finish yeah. it. So uh, I, would say I, that, I would call that I, the... I would call that typical Dubuque. That's what I would call that. Yeah. No, yeah. I... I, I Fell flat. No uh, break under pressure. Yeah, I would awesome. say as soon as he, um, as soon as he's asked to do something, uh, he withers, uh, withers under the spotlight. Yeah, yeah no, I'm, I'm assuming at this point I'm blacklisted, but I haven't actually talked to him about it yet. Mm-hmm. So. Racism, first of all, oh, right there. Yeah. Just because yeah. it's a 
blacklist. That means it's bad. Um, second of all, second of all, get your act together. That's all I'm going to tell you. Get your act together. I should. Yeah. I should do that. Yeah. All right. Well, let's 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 put an end to this. Um, all right. But uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Why, why don't you stick around for a second after we're done? And uh, but otherwise, uh, otherwise, thank you for joining us, uh, Patrick Dubuque. Pleasure. Yeah, right. That is uh, the way big sports writer Patrick Dubuque. I'm, and will continue to be, um, well, until, until some at some point when I will continue to be no more. Uh, Carson Sestouli, and this has been uh, Fangraphs Audio. Mm-hmm.